Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to the first edition of 45 Forward. Uh, this is Ron Rowell, and I'm delighted to welcome all of you from Los Angeles to Long Island in my inaugural show that will help all of you put your own unique road to successful aging. Today, we'll have a terrific guest, Kathleen Adi, who is a senior official with the Administration for Community Living, which is part of US, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. She's had a distinguished, wide-ranging career in the field of aging for more than 30 years. And at her current position, Kathleen's mission every day is to ma- maximize the independence, health, and well-being of older adults and people with disabilities, as well as their families and caregivers. Now, before I introduce you to Kathleen, let me tell you a bit about myself and why I started the show. I'm a writer who's had a long career working with several organizations, newspapers, universities, small businesses, as well as launching some of, some of my own entrepreneurial ventures. During my 20 years at Newsday, Long Island's daily newspaper, I helped create a weekly section called Act Two, a retirement planning guide for older readers. But what I realized along the way was that as millions of Americans moved into their mid-40s toward that symbolic 50-yard line, they began to glimpse a new horizon, and it was not traditional retirement. They had married, raised their kids, well, mostly anyway, uh, built careers, and now what? Thanks to advances in medicine, fitness, and healthcare, we're just at our half-life with many more potentially productive years ahead of us. But for the first time since we left college, there's no one roadmap. There's no GPS to prepare us for this period of our life. It's up to us to create new lifestyles, new routines, new goals. And that's where 45 Forward comes in. I created this show to provide my listeners with strategies to prepare for this journey, integrating key components of health, finance, family and friends, housing, work, and personal pursuits into one personal plan. Every week, I'm gonna bring in experts to offer insights, experiences, and resources to shift your mindset from waiting for retirement to a continual journey of active life chapters, hopefully right to the end. Now, between politics and the pandemic, there's so much stress and anxiety in the world, and much of this is the product of fear and uncertainty, not knowing what the future holds and how to prepare for it. 45 Forward will not give you prefabricated answers, but it will help you find solutions and control your future. So now it's time to make your second half your better half. Let's move forward and meet our guest, Kathleen Adi. Welcome, Kathleen. Oh, hi, Ron. It's nice to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. So first, um, why don't you just give us a little bit of an overview of what the Administration for Community Living does? You know, I think many people know what a lot about your services, but they're not really aware of what the agency is and what it does. It's not, it's a name that doesn't come up very often. <laughs> That's true. No, I'm pleased to do that because it's very, very important. As anyone knows, we're all aging and we have certain needs as we begin to age. And so the Older Americans Act, which was created in 1965, actually provides an opportunity to create a roadmap, if you will, or 
serves as a major vehicle to establish the delivery of social and nutrition services to older adults and caregivers. Uh, the Older Americans Act targeted people who lived in rural areas, people that were non-English speaking, people that had a need for nutrition services. And since 1965, we've grown uh, exponentially. We serve over 11 million people. Uh, Older Americans Act, as I say, has been around since 1965, but people may not recognize that programs and services they're very familiar with, such as home-delivered meals or Meals on Wheels, senior centers, um, congregate meal sites, uh, all of these wellness programs that are going actually come from funding initiated by the Older Americans Act. So the Older Americans Act actually even established the Administration on Aging, and we actually serve uh, states and, of course, local resources in funding to provide services for older adults. Our mission is pretty simple. Uh, all people, regardless of age or disability, should have the opportunity and be able to live independently and participate fully in their communities. So that's why I'm glad to be with you today is just to share a little bit of information about the services we provide and then also where we're going in the future. Yeah, I appreciate that, Kathleen. I'm, I'm really delighted to have you. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that um, I wanted to, you know, dig a little bit into your background. Uh, I know you've been involved in aging since you were quite young. And as a field, it's, it's a little unusual. A lot of people, um, you know, uh, we, we know that even though our society is aging and that's where we're headed, you know, as overall, um, many people don't go into this career. You know, there's a, there's a lack of, of folks in, in gerontological practices, um, and expertise in this area. Um, so how did you get involved? How did you, what's your, what, what drives your passion in this area? Oh. Well, that's an interesting question because I think most anyone who does enjoy aging services uh, typically have had an experience either in childhood or in their early adulthood where they really felt that they made a difference. And I think when I look back on my career, what was most encouraging to me was when I went with my grandmother to deliver meals to two ladies in the neighborhood. Um, I'm a Kansas native and in Winfield in our Kansas City, Kansas is where I grew up. My grandmother actually delivered two meals a day to two elderly women in the, in the community. And we had the opportunity to, I had the opportunity to go with my grandmother as she delivered these meals. And this was again, before home delivered meals were actually something that was offered in the community. And again, I think that sensitivity of being able to make a difference, uh, to recognize that the service we provide is so important, um, it really encouraged me to remain in this, in this field. I think I would also say that it's very rewarding. The opportunity to work with older people and the Older Americans Act recognizes older as 60 and above is so very rewarding on so many levels. And so that's kind of how I started. But as you're, you made mention, gerontology really was not a field that many people thought to go into. In fact, there were limited universities back in the 60s and the 70s that even offered gerontological programming. So most of us either started in nursing facilities or in institutionalized care. And then as aging services developed and changed, uh, I think those of us that are working for home and community-based services really relish the opportunity to serve people where they want to be, which is in their community. 
Yeah, talk a little bit more about that because I think you know community is part of your title, and I think it it comes up a lot these days in terms of you know what is our community, and people feel disconnected from the community. And, and uh, I was listening to some interviews on on TV last night about um, you know community rural communities, and I think people feel this disconnection. So how does yeah. the, how do you work on this issue of uh, connecting people with their communities and keeping them in their communities? Absolutely right. And again, the vision and the mission of the Administration for Community Living is to do just that. We do a lot of surveys and certainly have over the course of the years, and we know that people want to age in communities. And we feel that's vital because if you're in, integrated in your community, that you're volunteering, you're socially connected, your quality of life is going to be enhanced. And I think community can mean different things to different people and certainly recognizing that even nursing facilities could be considered a community. But we also know that people like to live together in groups of of, uh, places where they enjoy the same things. Uh, It could be a characteristic, it could be a locality or uh, social interest hobbies, you know, families. It could be anything that you really want it to be. But the most important part about community is belonging and feeling a sense that you're not only giving, but perhaps you're also receiving as well. And I think the Administration for Community Living has been able to capture that in the services we provide. And I made mention of the nutrition services, which are very important. Well, we also serve caregivers. We provide legal services. We provide the ombudsman program in our communities. And these services are done through state governments who in turn work with area agencies on aging. So uh, coming all the way back around, Ron, I think what community means to me as I think about our programs is that they're locally based. They're provided in the community, serving local people and, and utilizing the funding of the Older Americans Act, state fundings and local funding to support people in the community, to help them live independently and integrated into the community of choice. Right. Right. Yeah, I think this is one of the uh, misconceptions that, that uh, you know, agencies don't work together with local communities and that people aren't talking one, one another. I think that, you know, you've mentioned to me that, uh, you know, you worked in New Hampshire for a while yes. at the state level there. And I think that, that that kind of coordination, I think, is is important. And I think that you, you know, one of the reasons I, I wanted to title our show, you know, Freedom of Choice is that there's this idea that that these programs are inflexible um, and don't offer choices and and I think that you know you've mentioned to me that one of the, your your principles is um, you know called you know person centered planning. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, well, thank you for reflecting about my New Hampshire experience. I think again throughout my career, I'm most proud that I. Uh, was able to serve as the state director for the state of New Hampshire for the Bureau of Elderly and Adult Services. And not having any state government experience, my eyes were opened to the openness and the real desire to serve older people from the state government's perspective. So I I cherish those memories of being in New Hampshire and and the work that we did. But you're right. I think um, everyone just recognizes that the state government can have some inflexibilities, 
But again, I would urge your reader, your uh, listeners to think back to the Older Americans Act and perhaps do some research. It's one of the most flexible pieces of legislation because it recognizes that states and also local entities such as the Area Agencies on Aging have some flexibilities within the titles to provide the services. In other words, meeting the specific needs of the community. And in doing so, we recognize, and really I should say that all of our programs have embedded the opportunity for people to make choices. In other words, people can have power to be person-centered. And what that means is that our services offered by the Older Americans Act encourages people the right to self have self-determination, that they can make decisions about where they live, who they live with, as well as other daily choices. So person-centered planning is very much embedded in the programs that we offer within the uh, programs of the Older Americans Act. And I would say also, uh, we really feel that people have the right to do that. It's certainly one thing to have a person-centered program and plan, but we also recognize it's the rights of individuals to have decision-making ability for the services they receive and how they receive them. Right, right. You know, I think that, um, could you, uh, let's talk a bit more about that. So give an example, of, and I think that you work with a lot of states as well as the, which drives down decision-making and programs to the county level, right? Yes, that's correct. So to talk just a little bit about the funding, the funding comes through, of course, uh, our central office in Washington, D.C., by grants to states. The states, in turn, work with local entities, as I've made mention, with area agencies on aging. ACL does a wonderful job of encouraging the tenants of the Older Americans Act, as I make mention, to be embedded in the services that we provide. We do a lot of evaluations. We provide issue briefs. We examine participants' patterns. We use healthcare and research to really understand how older Americans are changing and really what their desires are. So we really are flexible in that regard too. But most important, um, I think again to some of, of your listeners would be that the cost, the cost is certainly less expensive to provide these services in the community versus institutionalization. And that's again, one of the other drivers. But person-centered planning really can be individualistic, and I'll be very brief, but we had a situation in New, in New Hampshire where we were supporting a caregiver, providing uh, care to her husband. He loved to read. Uh, she couldn't spend the time holding the book. So the flexibility was that we received a tablet. He could hold the tablet, turn the page by touching a button, and he could read by himself without having her to sit side by side with him to help him. It's kinds of flexibilities that really help people remain in their home and do a, a good job about the quality of life that they enjoy. Right, right. You know, one of the things that I, I've noticed too, because I, I, I know you know that uh, for several years, um, my family and my three brothers and I are involved in taking care of our mom, you know, during her yes. elder years. And, you know, that a lot of these, um, I think when it's, it's important um, that a lot of these agencies really depend upon kind of an intergenerational, you know, interaction. You know, a lot of it is about seniors taking care of themselves, but also their families, their adult children, you know, working with them. So it's almost, it's important that, you know, people uh, know on two levels, you know, and I think a lot of times people are caught short because, um, you know, their parents are going through certain things and, 
and they're not aware of it and they need to be participate and 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 so they need the information and resources almost as soon as their parents do absolutely right and we encourage everybody to find out about resources in the community before it's necessarily an urgent situation. And that includes people who are younger as well as people who are 60 years of age and, and above. Right, right. So, you know what, let's, let's just take a pause here. We're gonna go to a break, but uh, when we get back, let's talk about uh, these resources and how people can find them and a little bit more about uh, you know, where they are and uh, how to get them quickly. So that sounds let's planned. take a break. And when we come back, we will be much more with Kathleen Adi. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Brave Hearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Kathleen Adi from the Administration for Community Living. And we've been talking about a whole variety of issues about how to age well and how her agency can help us do that. Um, we're talking about uh, resources, and th- this is something that I think that um, I've come in uh, contact with re- you know, many times talking with people who need help for themselves or their parents is that they can't get it in time. They're, they're behind in terms of when they need it, you know, and often in crisis mode, unfortunately, which seems to be yes. the way we do things. So, Kathleen, talk a little bit about you know, how we find the resources and get to them quickly. Well, I think, yes, you're exactly right, Ron. People do wait until they need something, and then it's an urgent situation. And, of course, um, we know that as we grow older, sometimes our health is affected. Sometimes our memory could be affected. And sometimes we just need some support. So it's good for families to really have conversations early in the aging process. You don't have to wait till you're 60. In fact, let your your loved ones know your intentions about um, you know, how you would like to live your, your uh, years as over 60 and above, you know, have those conversations. They may feel uncomfortable at first, but they're very important. 
And why I say that is because the resources in the community are available. And there's some very good resources that I'll be happy to share. And Ron, I think you can share uh, to your listeners after the presentation is that it's just really going to your computer or going to the telephone and making a call because the resources are there. But I think I'd like to underscore to your listeners that the conversations with families is most important. Making sure you have documents such as your durable power of healthcare attorney, your advanced directives are well known. It's kind of hard to have those conversations. I know I did it with my family. Uh, you're talking about your untimely death, but it's really important uh, to have those documents there and also how you want to live. If you need supports, do you want to remain at home? And if so, make sure your family knows where to go to get those resources. Yeah, this is actually you know critical, Kathleen. I've had many conversations. Uh, you know, I'm working on a, a caregiving guide for Long Islanders uh, in my area. And I think mm -hmm. that's one of the issues is connecting to resources, whether they're agencies, whether they're individual uh, providers, uh, whether they're government, state, people really don't care. What they want is to figure out how to solve a problem quickly. And I think that you're just absolutely right in terms of having these family conversations. And one of the, the things is you have to have several of these, you know, yeah. every stage of your parents and you in terms of your aging is, is a different kind of conversation. So there's the preparatory conversation about trying to get things in order and trying to get a sense of, well, you know, how, what, what is your parents' disposition in terms of doing these things? I think one good thing is I think that our generation is a little bit more willing to talk about these things. You know, my, my parents' generation, not so much. You know, it just wasn't part of the culture. Right. I mean, it was I think you're you're absolutely right. I, I think seniors of today look very different because they want to have that decision making capability. They want to take an active role in the way that they're provided care or to make sure their needs are known. I think uh, you're right that the resources are available if people are aware of them. And, and certainly, I think our state governments and our local governments and municipalities do a great job making sure that people know phone numbers to call uh, or have some knowledge about where to refer someone. And ACL, I think, has done a great job with that on our website, uh, acl.gov. It's a plethora of information about wellness and about how to live a quality life, a healthy life. But if you need those services, we also have a one-stop shop in terms of our aging and disability networks. And even a 1-800 phone number where you can call and simply give your zip code and you can learn about the resources that are in your communities throughout the United States. Right. That's referred to as the elder care, elder locator, correct? Is that the... That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's a, right. It's a very handy tool. People should take a look at it. And it's handy because it, it, uh, it basically covers the country. So... Um, many people, of course, are, you know, are in one part of the country and their, their loved ones in another part. And so you, you're often looking for services in other parts of the country where you're not. And so you've got to figure out, well, how do I find resources in that part of the country? And so the, the elder locator is really a handy tool. So uh, we'll have that up at the end of the show, too, so people can, and explain to people how they can get more information about that. Um, yeah, that's absolutely right. And what I love about the elder care locator is uh, you put in your zip code and even if you live in a rural area, they will find the closest 
uh, resources for you and have a conversation with you about what your needs are and then match you. So uh, again, the resources are will be available at the end of, of your uh, show here. I know that, Ron, but it's a wonderful resource to have um, knowledge of in the event, uh, as you make mention, you have that urgent situation. You'll know where to go. Right, right. Now, I noticed uh, looking at the site too, Kathleen, that that um, you know there, there's a lot of attention being paid to a very, um, you know, present subject today, which is the issue of uh, connection and social isolation, yes. uh, which of course has become a huge issue. Um, you know, it, it's been uh, it's been an issue for a long time, even before COVID, and uh, the issue of uh, social distancing became the, the the requirement of the day. But uh, you know, I'm sure you know as well that the that for for older folks. Um, Social isolation has become a big issue, and it for both mental and and physical health. You know, literally their physical health and the longevity of people as they get older gets worse if they're socially isolated. Um, and uh, and this is something that really follows us through life. One of the interesting right. things that I uh, wasn't aware of until recently was that if you look at um, indicators of loneliness, that the the highest indicators are for people in their seventies. And people in their 20s, early 20s. Right. And I think that these things happen at transition periods where people, you know, going back to the premise of our show, are looking for new pathways to a part of their life where they don't have an easy GPS. So talk to me a little bit more about, you know, how ACL deals with this issue of social isolation and helping people connect. Well, and you're so right on so many levels about social isolation. Of course, we all are human beings that love to interact at really different levels. But what we know with the pandemic is that we've exacerbated the challenges. People can't even get out and walk around freely without feeling uncomfortable. So people are self-isolating. And even services. We know that after the pandemic, our uh, demand for services increased in some cities up to 50%. Now that's substantial. So as you know, in New York City, we had almost a 50% increase in the number of home delivered meals we were serving at the pandemic. And what I appreciate about that challenge is that in all of the cities throughout the United States, we've been able to deliver the home delivered meals, but we will say it's much more than a meal. And so for those meal delivers, they're taking note and encouraging people to connect to social senior centers who are now doing programming online. I'll give you a great example. Just last week, I took part in a Zoom call with the senior centers in the New York City area. They were celebrating the Lunar New Year, and they were also celebrating, uh, of course, um, the Three Kings Day. And it was a phenomenal program because people were able to sit in their living rooms, but yet they were socially connected. We need to recognize throughout the United States that mental, uh, mental, Health is really contingent on the ability to communicate with your loved ones, with your friends and your family. And finding those avenues to do that during the pandemic started out kind of challenging. But I can say now that we're about nine months into the pandemic, our local senior centers and our services have found a way to make sure people are getting the services they need, but are also staying connected. You know, when we don't have a pandemic, another opportunity is for volunteerism. And now we're not able to do that because of the pandemic. But when this subsides with the vaccines, we're hoping people will recognize the value of giving back and participating in their senior centers through volunteers, volunteerism. 
Right, right. Yeah, I think that's that's really key. And I think that, um, you know, that, that the, the kind of services you're talking about are things that can fill in many gaps that, you know, years ago, we're, we're filled in by a community, but, you know, we're a disparate we're a disparate bunch, we Americans, and we like to, yes. our mobility, you know, we like to be, move around. And so, you know, we don't, you know, have uh, the same sorts of roots that stay in our communities for a long time, you know, but, and, right. and, and maintain that connection. You know, I was, I was touched, you know, my mom passed away a couple of years ago, but at, um, at her memorial service, you know, uh, one of my brothers, uh, um, Ray, you know, mentioned, we were all gave remarks about our mom and our, our memories and remembrances. And he uh, recalled a story that when we were kids, he would go to a local, um, you know, Presbyterian home. Mm-hmm. Now, this was, a, it was a nursing home, but it was, um, we, she would take us, round us up every um, Christmas, and she would take us there with our friends to sing Christmas carols to them. Yes. And, you know, as, as my brother pointed out, it wasn't our idea of fun at first, but, uh, you know, we could see the joy of people when we yes. sang, and and you know, he um, he he had a letter that he had saved from the 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 manager of the of the uh, the home. Just it was really touching, you know. And it's it, you know, it is. He, she ended with saying, "It is humanly impossible to adequately express our gratitude to you for sharing in our Yuletide season." And that's the sort of thing that I think that, you know, we've got to try to, you know, find ways to replicate no matter, you know, what, what resources we have, but to find that kind of connection in community. It's tough. It is tough, but I so agree with you. And as I started speaking with you this afternoon, I, you know, we were talking about what really brought you to aging services. And it was just that very experience of touching the life of an older adult in some way uh, which is so rewarding and so um, important and so remarkable that you carry that forward. And it really encourages all of us to take the time to recognize that we can do more for our older citizens living in the United States. We actually check on people that are our neighbor just to make sure they're okay. Right. Um, but it's just those little things that people do, you know, to make a big difference. Right. Right. Now, ACL is involved with um, an engaged program, right? Isn't that the, the acronym for it, engaged? Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. Tell me about that a little bit. Well, we're, we're encouraging people to remain active. Again, talking about social isolation, we know that people, if they're more integrated into their community, that they're active and they're uh, keeping their bodies, you know, in uh eating well, exercising, following evidence-based programming. If they're staying medically um, attuned to their body, so they're making their visits to the doctor's office on a regular basis, and mentally staying engaged, that you're really your quality of life as you grow older will be enhanced. And again, that's one of the reasons why I, I was so pleased to join the Administration for Community Living about 10 years ago, was because we were focusing on aging as a wellness opportunity. And I think again, with the Engage Project, we're really looking at the positive aspects of aging, how we can make a difference in our own lives and then also in other people's lives just by doing some good best practices and making that part of our day. Um, And again, just to throw in another volunteer opportunity, a lot of that as we get older has to do with volunteers. Many of our programs under the Older Americans Act occur with the help and the support of volunteers. So, you know, to stay engaged is so important, but to give back 
is really something that benefits us mentally and also physically. And it makes a little bit happier lifestyle, I think, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, you mentioned the the food programs, the, the meals yes. pro, on meals program. You know, this is something that is really key. I mean, you see it on a on a local level a lot. You know, and where I live, there are just many people involved in um, in food banks and volunteering uh, to deliver food. And um, you know, talk a little bit more about this. This is something that I, I find you know it's, it, I find gratifying, but also troubling that you know yes. in our country which has, you know, an abundance of food, that there is still so much food insecurity. Well, you're right, Ron. And that's something that we really are so focused upon because we know our home delivered meal program. And when we don't have a pandemic, our congregate meal program are vital programs. They've been around and implemented, I believe, in 1968-69. And I mentioned the Older Americans Act was passed in 1965. But again, we have so many seniors who are on a limited income and they must make significant choices between medication and food. Mm. So the delivered meal program that, that we provide is really crucial because it's the foundation that these older adults live on. I mean, one meal a day, uh, meeting all of the nutritional requirements is very helpful, but it's, it's really not enough because many of our communities have wait lists because the uh, the requests uh, exceed the, the opportunity to fund. So again, we're really challenged um, in some regards, but our nutrition program is the heaviest um, uh, program, the heaviest lift that we have because we reach over 11 million people with that program. And it really, um, it keeps people from institutions, but it also provides them with a, one meal a day. Whether or not we could debate, uh, you know, I think, again, it's, it's challenging that we, we don't have the opportunity to provide more than one meal a day, but it is the funding and it is the demand that allow us to, to serve one person per meal per day. Right. Kathleen, if, if, if someone is unsure about their, their parents being able to eat, how do, they, how do they find out or contact you? Is there a, a way, yes. What's the way to do that? Well, again, the resources that we'll include at the end of your broadcast about the elder care locator, um, it, it's a website that you, as I make mention, you put in your zip code. Uh, they will loop you right to the nutrition center in your community and can set you up with meals, um, home delivered meals. And again, during this pandemic, that's really all our aging network is providing are the home delivered meals. But it's just as easy as that, Ron, if there's a need or there's a concern all you have to do is to contact the elder care locator, put in your zip code, and you're immediately connected to a local program that can help and support you. Nutrition is so important as we age for many different reasons. But again, I'm reiterating, but it is more than a meal because we have people with a friendly smile that deliver these services, and it really helps those recipients um, know that they're appreciated and that they have friends out there visiting them and bringing them a meal. And that's great to know. It's great to know. Um, any other, um, what are the other needs besides food? Well, again, social isolation, you mentioned mm-hmm. that. That's really very, very important. Wellness programming, lurking, lurking at uh, uh, chronic disease self-management. Older adults want to control their own health and they want to learn about their disease. And so our programs in our senior centers that teach individuals how to maintain and control their uh, diabetes, or perhaps um, 
if they need to watch their diet, there are educational opportunities in our senior centers, um, you know, in um, nutrition sites that can do that. So a lot of it is positive information based on research to help individuals, older adults, make wise decisions. Even smoking cessation programs like that are available in our senior centers throughout the United States. Yeah. So I think one of that's one of the things that I've come across as sort of an issue is that there's a lot of amazing stuff done in senior centers, but it's often hard to get seniors there. <laughs> well, it is, you know, and, and um, you know, many, many uh, places have changed the names of senior centers. Uh, you know, usually they're community centers, regardless of where it is or what it's called. The important thing is to be connected to them so that you can take part and meet people and take advantage of their programming. Um, you know, so that, again, uh, your lifestyle is enhanced because you're around a positive influence as you age. Right. Yeah, I think it's, you know, as we started talking about earlier, it's about changing our conception about how we age, you know, and so I think that, you know, the, the name change may seem cosmetic, but I think it's true. People um, in my area, you know, don't like to think about going to senior centers because they don't like to think that they're seniors. That's right. Um, <laughs> even even those of us who are, you know, I mean, I, you know, you and I were joking in another conversation about, well, what, what is a senior? That's you know, right. is it, uh, so, it, and there are different definitions. So for a lot of your programs, Senior is someone who's 60, Um, you know, Medicare, 65, Um, Social Security, well, it could be 62, Um, you know, retirement communities, 55 plus, you know, AARP 50, you know, (laughs) Um, so um, I think it's it's a difficult thing. And and it's it's not that just that age is is, is not just a number. It's that we don't know what age there is. And and often I I confess that. uh, you know, when I think about being a senior, and I'm like, am I a senior? I look in the mirror, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Now I know who that person is. <laughs> you know, you just don't think of yourself as a senior because, uh, you know, it's uh, it it happens. It creeps up on you slowly. But yes, but I does. think there is something to uh, the issue of, uh, you know, um, of, um, you know, we're, we're only as old as we feel. And we, we have to basically take that into consideration as we age. But we're going to hold on to that thought and talk more broadly about aging. Uh, But we're going to take another break. And when you come back, we'll be back with Kathleen Ottie. So stick around. Don't go anywhere. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We are on with Kathleen Adi from the Administration for Community Living. And before our break, um, we were talking about changing the paradigm of aging and how we think about aging. And, um, you know, one of the things that um, uh, Kathleen said to me once was, uh, we're all seniors in training. And I think that's a, that's a maximum we need to think about. So talk to me about a little bit about your views about how aging is changing and how uh, our, our view about dealing with aging is changing and how you personally look at the issue. That's a good question, and and thank you for remembering that about we're all seniors in training, because I actually had an older adult share that with me in New Hampshire years ago. It stuck with me, and and it really made me understand that even though we are young, we are aging, and we don't think about turning, quote, older until we turn those milestones that you mentioned in terms of a number. Um, So, you know, we are all seniors in training, and how wonderful it would be if we could recognize that as we're younger, that growing older is a part of the lifespan. And we begin to look at aging, not just as an age, but across the lifespan. So that as we're younger, we're thinking about how we want to retire, uh, saving our money so we can live the lifestyle that we hope to achieve when we do retire. We are talking about our health. So really taking care of ourselves when we're younger, perhaps not smoking and doing those things to keep us well looking at growing older across the lifespan um, is really, I think, where I would hope Americans will go. Again, using evidence-based information to help us make those important decisions. But I think also, Ron, as you and I have discussed, I think we also need a paradigm shift. We need to be able to say, you know, growing older gracefully and in a self-directed manner is the way we all want to age. So why don't we embrace that, talk with our families, recognize that it's a part of natural living. And therefore, when we are reaching those milestones, um, we have, you know, we have a better understanding of where we've been and where we want to go as we, in the latter years of our life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, it's hard to change our, our approach. We are, you know, largely a, um, you know, an up to the minute, crisis-oriented society. You know, we look at things and we go along and we just don't handle them until they they're become a crisis. And uh, that's, you know, you, you can't change that entirely. Um, you know, people do things as on an as-needed basis, but there's a lot of inefficiency to do that, doing that. And if you can get people thinking ahead of time, you can save a lot of money in some cases. Uh, but more importantly, as, you, um, as you've said, um, you, know, you can really give people more choices. 
you know, um, one of the things that I have a couple of analogies that I like to um, invoke, uh, and that is that, um, you know, you're, um, you know, we're driving fast cars in our society. I, I mean that metaphorically, not literally, but I mean, <laughs> our lives are fast. We drive fast. We go through, you know, our life fast. And, um, you know, there, but there are certain inflection points, which, you know, when you're on the road, you're going through curbs and you got to slow down and pause and you know, to enable yourself to negotiate the curves of life. And often we don't do that. And so we just go flying off the road. And that's what I think happens as we age, you know, uh, we get to those points where we're not really prepared. We don't slow down and think about it and, and have those family conversations, as you mentioned, you know, and I think that that's, that's something that is going to change slowly. I think, you know, hopefully, um, you know, as I've uh, been working on developing caregiving guides, you know, um, you know, I, I show them to some um, people in their 40s and 50s. And, uh, you know, the initial response is, well, okay, I'm not there yet with my parents. I got to, you know, that's, that's down the road. But then they, then they take another look at it and they go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is good for me. <laughs> I better be thinking about that because well, I'll be there before you know it, you know. Well, it's true. And I, I think, you know, you and, and I are very much alike. I think people are very much alike. What what drives us many times to avoid talking about this is fear and denial. And again, thinking about the lifespan, how we want to live our lives, and then looking at resources. Um, there's been some wonderful trends throughout the United States, the village movement, um, where people are, are living together and forming their own kind of co-op for services that started out at Beacon Hill in Boston. Mm-hmm. Great example of not being fearful and kind of taking control. Additionally, there's many communities throughout the United States that are looking at livable communities, how to look at living in a community across the lifespan, making sure that parks are accessible to children as well as to older adults, making sure that the sidewalks don't have cracks in them so that people fall. Again, trying to capture that proactive stance of making life and our environment the way we want it to be as we grow older. I think of uh, Betty White. She always comes to mind of someone with a lot of spunk and a a lot of um, energy to say, hey, look, I may be older, but I am still thriving and I'm sure having a good time. And that's the kind of philosophy I, I hope each of us can embrace as we grow older so that we have uh, a voice in our care, but that we also celebrate the life that we're living. Yeah, I, I think that there, you know, p- part of, of my hope and and my passion is 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 intergenerational. As you know, I think that there are lots of things that we don't think about as we get to our 40s and 50s, but that the solutions are, are actually good for everyone. Yes. You know, I, I think about, um, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, um, these livable communities, which another uh, moniker for, for them is these age-friendly communities, which That's I've been right. involved with with AARP, um, volunteering and helping my, some of my local communities uh, develop age-friendly plans. And I think that's something that really, you know, we're realizing that, um, for example, simple things uh, that, you know, examples that are often raised are when you design houses or you retrofit them to widen the doorways for um, wheelchairs, wheelchair users, um, that that's also good for young mothers uh, or that's older right. mothers with, you know, children who are 
pushing them through in baby carriages. That's right. Or, you know, problems getting through and obstacles to deal with. So I think that, you know, one of the issues in terms of what you were saying in terms of changing the paradigm is that, you know, there aren't, you've, we've got to break down this, this generational competition that, um, which I think is, again, the, the misconception that, you know, that if you provide resources for seniors, that's, that's imperative and essential, but it also takes resources away from other generations. And so we need to think about, you know, that's where the planning comes in, where you get ahead of it and say, well, wait a minute, how can we do this for both generations optimally? Um, now, are there any examples in in, uh, in ACL about you know that kind of approach? Or is, I mean, I know that you talked about the village approach in terms of yes. So there's several things that we see throughout the nation. I did mention the village uh, model, which of course is just wonderful. Um, I I've talked a little bit about livable communities, but we also recognize, and again, kind of back to our conversation about where is community. But we even have adult family care homes where some states have a program, and not in all states. But they match people, those people who have maybe an extra bedroom in their house, and they can invite an older person in. There's a sharing of family values, if you will, and experiences. But the older adult can benefit from the family, and the family can benefit from the little bit of the stipend that the older adult pays to remain in the, in the home. There's models across the nation like this with varying degrees. And I believe as we get older, and certainly um, we have older adults now. I always think back, you know, that I was on the very verge of, uh, uh, you know, female athletics. Many times in our high schools, uh, people who are 60 years of age and uh, 65 years of age couldn't participate. Ladies couldn't participate in, in athletics in their high school with title. I think it was 19 that changed. There's a lot of good things coming about where now as older adults, we can say, hey, I can take part in the Senior Olympics. Hey, I can live in a, in a group or a congregate setting. And I don't think the fear is as prevalent as it perhaps used to be. And ACL encourages our states to take a good look at those best practices and to share information. So if there is a model, um, a good model, such as the adult family care model, and it's working then share that with another state so that everyone can adopt a good best practice that would benefit the stakeholders of their states. Right, right. I see a lot of that conversation going on with our state governments and even local uh, local municipalities as well. Right. Now, you know, we just have a few minutes left, but I wanted to, apropos of the kind of uh, multi-generational gener- approach, and um, I wonder if you mind talking a little bit about uh, your situation, which you mentioned to me the other day, which I found, you know, fascinating, which is, I guess, partly brought about by COVID, but your own personal experience in dealing with multi-generational living, you know, with your, your daughter and your grandchild and, and yeah. uh, unfortunately, well, your, your husband quarantined in New Hampshire, <laughs> but, but, but what, and anything come up in terms of what you've learned, you know, that you didn't, perhaps you didn't expect in, in living in a multi-generational household which is well, sort of like back to the future. This is what the way it used to be many years ago. Well, it really kind of is, Ron. And I have to laugh because, you know, we never all, never always think of that we're aging, but I recognize that I'm certainly the older person in my family. And living in New York City, uh, we've been very cautious about uh, and following the CDC guidelines about interacting, getting out and having family members over. 
So, but what I've noticed is that I'm actually uh, a model, or at least I'm trying to be that. I'm I'm very aware that I, as an older adult with my daughter and and uh, her husband and their baby boy in my household, that I'm modeling older age. So I'm trying to think about that. I'm encouraging mm-hmm. them to take best practices. I could probably eat a little better and be a better model in that way. But I think we all have a certain responsibility, as I say, to make note of the fact that we're all seniors in training and hey watch me I'm trying to do the right thing by eating right and by living the best life I can and I think that's something easy that all of us can do if we take the time to recognize how important it is. Yeah I totally agree with you Um, and we just have a couple minutes I wanted to um, just uh, you know I I think that you know one of my other favorite uh, metaphors is actually a sports metaphor and that mm-hmm. is often attributed to uh, I think Wayne Gretzky about you know what made him such a great hockey player and I think his answer was I skate to where the puck is going to be <laughs> and I think that that's true you know that's sort of a truism about a lot of things in life if we if we want to do well um, uh, as we get older um, we need to think about where where are we going to be where do we want to be and I think that's why it's important to really um, be aware of the resources. Again, if you don't know about them, you know, it may be too late or, or certainly your options are fewer. And, you know, this, this is one of the great things about our country is the availability of choice. You know, once again, right, to have a freedom of choice. And, and the more we think about it, the more we, uh, you know, consider these kinds of options, um, the, the more choices we'll have to live the life we want right to the end. Absolutely. So, um, so let me just, uh, you know, I wanted to thank you ter- for being such a terrific guest. And I want to yeah. just say um, for my listeners, uh, Kathleen, are, are there, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, certainly they can email me with questions or. or Absolutely. And thank you, Ron. We would welcome any questions. Uh, there's a couple of resources that we've spoken about as a part of this broadcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly the elder care uh, locator, which I know Ron will be posting these the sites on online, and also the acl.gov website uh, is a plethora of information. But I really want to thank you for making this a very important topic to, to uh, host on your first program. I think, again, everyone needs to know that they're not alone and there are resources in the local communities to support older people living in the community and focuses on uh, the positive interaction of people who want to age where they want to live and to be with those people who they want to be with as they grow older. So uh, those resources are very important. Right. Just quickly, Kathleen, I know that um, Older Americans Month is in March. Yes, indeed. I know that the the theme is, you know, celebrating the strength and resiliency. That's right. And any events coming up? that, um, you know, are, uh, are, are you'd like to highlight? Appreciate you mentioning that. Yes, indeed. The theme this year is strength of community, which really ties right in to what we're speaking about today. The pandemic has demonstrated that we as an aging network can meet the needs of older adults, even when facing the greatest challenge of influenza and, and uh, pandemic situations. So we're really pleased to, to welcome that theme. Still a little early yet to know, but there will be a lot of virtual programming that goes on in our senior centers and our community centers, celebrating the life of older adults and the contributions they make to their community. Well, thank you so much, Kathleen. And if you wanna know more about this, 
log on to my website, robotresources.com, and look for 45 forward resources. So again, thanks so much, everyone, for listening today, and come back next week for another installment of 45 Forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.